Chapter Twenty: Principles as Set Forth by Ellen White in Her Early Ministry. Look away from self to Jesus. 1850. Said the angel, "Have faith in God." I saw some tried too hard to believe. Faith is so simple, ye look above it. Satan tried to deceive some of the honest children and had got them looking to self to find worthiness there. I saw they must look away from self to the worthiness of Jesus, and throw themselves just as dependent and unworthy as they are upon His mercy, and draw by faith strength and nourishment from Him. Letter eight, eighteen fifty. Depends solely on merits of Jesus. Eighteen sixty-two. Every member of the family should bear in mind that all have just as much as they can do to resist our wily foe, and with earnest prayers and unyielding faith, each must rely upon the merits of the blood of Christ, and claim His saving strength. The powers of darkness gather about the soul and shut Jesus from our sight, and at times we can only wait in sorrow and amazement. Until the cloud passes over, these seasons are sometimes terrible. Hope seems to fail, and despair seizes upon us. In these dreadful hours, we must learn to trust, to depend solely upon the merits of the atonement, and in all our helpless unworthiness, cast ourselves upon the merits of the crucified and risen Savior. We shall never perish while we do this. Never. Testimonies, Volume One, pages three o nine and three ten, eighteen sixty two. The truth to sanctify the life, eighteen sixty nine. Brother and sister P have a work to do to set their own house and hearts in order. He, brother P, has not seen and felt the necessity of the Spirit of God upon the heart to influence the life, the words and acts. He has made his religious experience too much of a form. The theory of the truth he has seen and acknowledged, but the special work of sanctification through the truth he has not become acquainted with. Self has appeared. If anything was spoken in meeting which did not meet his standard, he would rebuke, not in love and humility, but harshly with severe, cutting words. This strong language is not proper for any Christian to use, especially one who has need of much greater experience himself. And who has very many wrongs to correct, manuscript two, eighteen sixty nine. The fruit true sanctification produces, eighteen seventy four. You have held views of sanctification and holiness which have not been of that genuine article which produces fruit of the right quality. Sanctification is not an outward work; it does not consist in praying and exhorting in meeting. But it takes hold of the very life and molds the words and actions, transforming the character. There seem to be important positions that need to be filled by men who are truly sanctified, having the spirit of the Master. And there is a most positive necessity of overcoming self that their work and efforts should not be marred by the defects in their character. Manuscript six, eighteen seventy four. Character perfected by Enoch and Elijah, eighteen seventy-four. Some few in every generation from Adam resisted his every artifice and stood forth as noble representatives 
of what it was in the power of man to do and to be, Christ working with human efforts, helping man in overcoming the power of Satan. Enoch and Elijah are the correct representatives of what the race might be through faith in Jesus Christ, if they chose to be. Satan was greatly disturbed because these noble, holy men stood untainted amid the moral pollution surrounding them, perfected righteous characters, and were accounted worthy for translation to heaven. As they had stood forth in moral power in noble uprightness, overcoming Satan's temptations, he could not bring them under the dominion of death. He triumphed that they had power to overcome Moses with his temptations, and that he could mar his illustrious character and lead him to the sin of taking glory to himself before the people which belonged to God. The Review and Herald, March 3, 1874. Faith and Works in Salvation, 1878. All your good works cannot save you, but it is nevertheless impossible for you to be saved without good works. Every sacrifice made for Christ will be for your eternal gain. The Review and Herald, March 21, 1878. Trust in Christ Essential, 1879. Christ has been loved by you, although your faith has sometimes been feeble and your prospects confused. But Jesus is your Savior. He does not save you because you are perfect, but because you need Him and in your imperfection have trusted in Him. Jesus loves you, my precious child. You may sing under the shadow of thy throne, still may we dwell secure. Sufficient is thine arm alone, and our defense is sure. Letter 46, 1879. Works of Righteousness Weighed in the Judgment, 1881. Ministers sometimes tell the people that they have nothing to do but believe, that Jesus has done it all, and their own works are nothing. But the Word of God plainly states that in the judgment, the scales will be balanced accurately, and the decisions will be based on the evidence adduced. One man becomes ruler of ten cities, another of five, another of two, each man receiving exactly in proportion to the improvement he has made on the talents entrusted to his keeping. Our efforts in works of righteousness, in our own behalf and for the salvation of souls, will have a decided influence on our recompense. The Review and Herald, October 25, 1881. Ellen White's Only Hope in Christ, 1881. In my recent bereavement, I have had a near view of eternity. I have, as it were, been brought before the great white throne and have seen my life as it will there appear. I can find nothing of which to boast, no merit that I can plead. Unworthy, unworthy of the least of thy favors, O my God, is my cry. My only hope is in a crucified and risen Savior. I claim the merits of the blood of Christ. Jesus will save to the uttermost all who put their trust in Him. The Review and Herald, November 1, 1881. Strive for Perfection of Character, 1882. We can never see our Lord in peace unless our souls are spotless. We must bear the perfect image of Christ. Every thought must be brought into subjection to the will of Christ. As expressed by the great apostle, 
we must come unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We shall never attain to this condition without earnest effort. We must strive daily against outward evil and inward sin if we would reach the perfection of Christian character. The Review and Herald, May 30, 1882. Basic Elements Presented at the 1883 General Conference Introductory Note At the General Conference session held in 1883 at Battle Creek, Michigan, Ellen White addressed the ministers at 13 consecutive morning meetings and spoke to the conference on the closing Sabbath. The Review and Herald the next year carried the entire series. In four of the addresses she set forth the principles of righteousness by faith, as presented in the selections which follow. A further basic address, Christ Our Righteousness, keyed to these meetings, was first published in Gospel Workers, 1893 edition, page 411, and reprinted in Selected Messages, Book 1, pages 350 to 354, and Faith and Works, pages 35 to 39. The Compilers. Friday, November 9, 1883. Look to Jesus. On this morning there was a spirit of earnest intercession for the Lord to reveal Himself among us in power. My heart was especially drawn out in prayer, and the Lord heard and blessed us. Testimonies were borne by many discouraged ones, who felt that their imperfections were so great that the Lord could not use them in His cause. This was the language of unbelief. I tried to point these dear souls to Jesus who is our refuge, a present help in every time of need. He does not give us up because of our sins. We may make mistakes and grieve His Spirit, but when we repent and come to Him with contrite hearts, He will not turn us away. Sabbath, November 10, 1883. Come as you are. I have listened to testimonies like this. I have not the light that I desire. I have not the assurance of the favor of God. Such testimonies express only unbelief and darkness. Are you expecting that your merit will recommend you to the favor of God and that you must be free from sin before you trust His power to save? If this is the struggle going on in your mind, I fear you will gain no strength and will finally become discouraged. As the brazen serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so was Christ lifted up to draw all men unto Him. All who looked upon that serpent, the means that God had provided, were healed. So in our sinfulness, in our great need, we must look and live. While we realize our helpless condition without Christ, we must not become discouraged. We must rely upon the merits of a crucified and risen Savior. Poor, sin-sick, discouraged soul, look and live. Jesus has pledged His word. He will save all who come unto Him. Then let us come confessing our sins, bringing forth fruits meet for repentance. Jesus is our Savior today. He is pleading for us in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary, and He will forgive our sins. It makes all the difference in the world with us spiritually, whether we rely upon God without doubt, as upon a sure foundation, or whether we are seeking to find some righteousness in ourselves before we come to Him. Look away from self to the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. It is a sin to doubt. 
the least unbelief, if cherished in the heart, involves the soul in guilt and brings great darkness and discouragement. Some seem to feel that they must be on probation and must prove to the Lord that they are reformed before they can claim His blessing. But these dear souls may claim the blessings of God even now. They must have His grace, the Spirit of Christ, to help their infirmities, or they cannot form Christian characters. Jesus loves to have us come to Him just as we are, sinful, helpless, dependent. We claim to be the children of light, not of the night nor of darkness. What right have we to be unbelieving? The Review and Herald, April 22, 1884. Wednesday, November 14, 1883. True religion means conformity to God's will. Some are ever looking to themselves instead of to Jesus. But brethren, you want to be clothed in Christ's righteousness. If you are trusting in your own righteousness, you are weak indeed, for you are exposed to the darts of Satan, and after the privileges you are now enjoying, you will have severe conflicts to meet. You are too cold. The work is hindered by your want of that love which burned in the heart of Jesus. You have too little faith. You expect little, and as the result you receive little, and you are satisfied with very small success. You are liable to self-deception and to rest satisfied with a form of godliness. This will never do. You must have living faith in your hearts. The truth must be preached with power from above. You can reach the people only when Jesus works through your efforts. The fountain is open. We may be refreshed and in our turn refresh others. If your own souls were vitalized by the solemn pointed truths you preach, cold-heartedness, listlessness, and indolence would disappear, and others would feel the influence of your zeal and earnestness. True religion is nothing short of conformity to the will of God and obedience to all things that He has commanded, and in return it gives us spiritual life, imputes to us the righteousness of Christ, and promotes the healthful and happy exercise of the best faculties of the mind and heart infinite riches, the glory and blessedness of eternal life are bestowed upon us on conditions so simple as to bring the priceless gift within the reach of the poorest and most sinful. We have only to obey and believe, and His commandments are not grievous. Obedience to His requirements is essential to our happiness even in this life. The Review and Herald, May 27, 1884. Monday, November 19, 1883. Look to Him and live. How many are making laborious work of walking in the narrow way of holiness? To many the peace and rest of this blessed way seems no nearer today than it did in the past. They look afar off for that which is nigh. They make intricate that which Jesus made very plain. He is the way, the truth, and the life. The plan of salvation has been plainly revealed in the Word of God, but the wisdom of the world has been sought too much, and the wisdom of Christ's righteousness too little. And souls that might have rested in the love of Jesus have been doubting and troubled about many things. The testimonies born here are not expressive of great faith, 
It is not hard to believe that Jesus will pardon others, but it seems impossible for each to exercise living faith for himself. But, dear brethren, is it profitable to express doubts in regard to the willingness of Christ to accept you? I fear you are depending too much on feeling, making that a criterion. You are losing much by this course. You are not only weakening your own souls, but the souls of others who look to you. You must trust Jesus for yourselves. Appropriate the promises of God to yourselves. Or how can you educate others to have humble, holy confidence in Him? You feel that you have neglected duties, that you have not prayed as you should. You seem at a distance from Jesus, and that He has withdrawn from you. But it is you who have separated from Him. He is waiting for you to return. He will accept the contrite heart. His lips have assured us that He is more willing to give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him than parents are to give good gifts to their children. We are wounded, polluted with sin. What shall we do to be healed from its leprosy? As far as it is in your power to do so, cleanse the soul temple of every defilement, and then look to the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. John 1, 29. If you are conscious of your wants, do not devote all your powers to representing them and mourning over them, but look and live. Jesus is our only Savior, and notwithstanding millions who need to be healed will reject His offered mercy, not one who trusts in His merits will be left to perish. Why do you refuse to come to Jesus and receive rest and peace? You may have the blessing this morning, Satan suggests that you are helpless and cannot bless yourself. It is true you are helpless, but lift up Jesus before him. I have a Savior, in him I trust, and he will never suffer me to be confounded. In his name I triumph. He is my righteousness and my crown of rejoicing. Let not one here feel that his case is hopeless, for it is not. It may seem to you that you are sinful and undone, but it is just on this account that you need a Savior. If you have sins to confess, lose no time. These moments are golden. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled, for Jesus has promised it. Precious Savior, his arms are open to receive us, and His great heart of love is waiting to bless us. The Review and Herald, July 1, 1884. False Sanctification, 1885. There was a man, a non-SDA minister, by the name of Brown. Perhaps you know him. Compiler's Note. Ellen White, speaking to the members of the Santa Rosa, California, SDA Church, on March 7, 1885, recounted an experience that took place on shipboard the year before when she traveled from Portland, Oregon to San Francisco, California. He claimed to be holy. The idea of repentance, said he, is not in the Bible. If, says he, a man comes to me and says that he believes in Jesus, I take him right into the church, whether he is baptized or not. I have done so with a good many. And, says he, I have not committed a sin in six years. 
There are some on this boat, says he, that believe that we are sanctified by keeping the law. There is a woman on this boat by the name of White that teaches this. I heard this, and I stepped up to him and said, Elder Brown, you hold right on. I cannot permit that statement to go. Mrs. White has never said such a thing in any of her writings, nor has she ever spoken such a thing, for we do not believe that the law sanctifies anyone. We believe that we must keep the law, or we will not be saved in the kingdom of heaven. The transgressor cannot be saved in the kingdom of glory. It is not the law that sanctifies anyone, nor saves us. That law stands and cries out, Repent, that your sins may be blotted out. And then the sinner goes to Jesus, and as the sinner promises that he will obey the requirements of the law, he blots out their guilty stains and sets them free, and gives them power with God. Manuscript 5, 1885 Freedom to Violate Commandments, A Deception 1886. You will hear the cry, Only believe. Satan believed and trembled. We must have a faith that works by love and purifies the heart. The idea prevails that Christ has done all for us and that we can go on transgressing the commandments and will not be held accountable for it. This is the greatest deception that the enemy ever devised. We must take our position that we will not violate the commandments at any cost and be in that spiritual condition that we can educate others in spiritual things. Manuscript 44, 1886. Moral Power Through Jesus, 1886. Christ knew that man could not overcome without his help. Therefore he consented to lay off his royal robes and clothe his divinity with humanity that we might be rich. He came to this earth suffered, and knows just how to sympathize with us and to assist us in overcoming. He came to bring man moral power, and he would not have man to understand that he has nothing to do, for everyone has a work to do for himself, and through the merits of Jesus we can overcome sin and the devil. Manuscript 46, 1886 Goody-goody religion that makes light of sin 1887. A new heart will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. I believe with all my heart that the Spirit of God is being withdrawn from the world, and those who have had great light and opportunities and have not improved them will be the first to be left. They have grieved away the Spirit of God. The present activity of Satan in working upon hearts and upon churches and nations should startle every student of prophecy. The end is near. Let our churches arise. Let the converting power of God be experienced in the heart of the individual members, and then we shall see the deep moving of the Spirit of God. Mere forgiveness of sin is not the sole result of the death of Jesus. He made the infinite sacrifice not only that sin might be removed, but that human nature might be restored rebeautified, reconstructed from its ruins, and made fit for the presence of God. Christ is the ladder which Jacob saw whose base rested on the earth and whose topmost round reached the highest heavens. This shows the appointed method of salvation. We are to climb round after round of this ladder. If any one of us shall finally be saved, it will be by clinging to Jesus as the rounds of a ladder. 
Christ is made unto the believer wisdom and righteousness, sanctification and redemption. There will be some terrible falls by those who think that they stand firm because they have the truth, but they have it not as it is in Jesus. A moment's carelessness may plunge a soul into irretrievable ruin. One sin leads to the second, and the second prepares the way for a third, and so on. We must, as faithful messengers of God, plead with Him constantly to be kept by His power. If we swerve a single inch from duty, we are in danger of following on in a course of sin that ends in perdition. There is hope for every one of us, but only in one way, by fastening ourselves to Christ and exerting every energy to attain to the perfection of His character. This goody-goody religion that makes light of sin and that is forever dwelling upon the love of God to the sinner encourages the sinner to believe that God will save him while he continues in sin, and he knows it to be sin. This is the way that many are doing who profess to believe present truth. The truth is kept apart from their life, and that is the reason it has no more power to convict and convert the soul. There must be a straining of every nerve and spirit and muscle to leave the world, to leave its customs, its practices, and its fashions. If you put away sin and exercise living faith, the riches of heaven's blessings will be yours. Letter 53, 1887. Second Advent Ends Soul Preparation, 1888. The robe of your character must be washed until it is spotless, in the fountain open for all uncleanness. Your moral worth will be weighed in the balances of the sanctuary, and if you are found wanting, you will be at an eternal loss. All the coarseness, all the roughness must be removed from your character before Jesus comes. For when He comes, the preparation for every soul is ended. If you have not laid aside your envy, your jealousies, your hatred one against another, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You would only carry the same disposition with you, but there will be nothing of this character in the world to come. Nothing will exist there but love and joy and harmony. Some will have brighter crowns than others, but there will be no jealous thoughts in any heart among the redeemed. Each one will be perfectly satisfied for all will be rewarded according to their work. Signs of the Times, February 10, 1888.